Christ the King, King of the Jews, uh, a king like no other, a king who preached an upside-down kingdom where to love your enemies was the norm, to value the poor and brokenhearted was essential, to touch and heal was his way, one whose king, one whose key life events were prophesied and waited on expectantly for centuries. Yet he was born in a stable in an obscure town of Bethlehem to become a skilled but nevertheless humble and a carpenter. He was celebrated riding into Jerusalem on a donkey by many who had been healed, was tried before a court who were determined to find him guilty. So rejected, he died broken on the cross that killed him, yet placed in a tomb that could not hold him. Christ the risen king, a king like no other. Many of you have heard of Dr. Lockridge's quite lengthy and inspiring impromptu speech, which is available on YouTube. I do recommend it, but I love this little quote from it. He says this, My king has the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom, the doorway of deliverance, the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous and his yoke is easy and his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you, but he is indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. And I have to say, that is my king. And that's the king who I want to follow to the ends of the earth. And I want to follow uh, to the end of my life. C.S. Lewis, the author uh, of many books, um, actually, and particularly the Narnia series, uh, are his most well-known, was a Christian apologist in the 1940s and 50s. And he... uh, He wrote in Mere Christianity uh, a well-known story about whether Jesus was a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. And he wrote this. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. This is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, uh, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now, it seems to me obvious that he was was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. Hold that thought. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey in John 12, they took palm branches and went out to meet him. Everyone was shouting, Lord be our saviour, blessed is the one who comes to us sent from Yahweh, the King of Israel. 
Then Jesus found a donkey and rode on it to fulfill what was prophesied. People of Zion, have no fear. Look, it's your king coming to you, riding on a donkey. The other reading I had for today, uh, it would have been Luke 23. And uh, we find that this uh, story is at the cross, at the crucifixion. And there is this this, uh, sign that is nailed on the head of the cross over Jesus' head and written on it, is an inscription. It's written in Greek, it's written in Latin, and it's written in Aramaic. This man is the king of all the Jews. Now we have Jesus declared as Christ the king. Such words are remarkable. They were the fulfillment of the Old Testament. They were the dream of Israel for centuries and for generation after generation after generation. Whilst Israel had failed to bring blessing to all the nations, now through the one who was described as prophet, priest, and king, the covenantal promises of Abraham would come to all humankind. In Jesus' life, we see uh, the constant and numerous echoes of the Old Testament in that he was like the prophet of Moses, one who was to be listened to. And I just love the fact that Jesus, wherever he went, people did want to spend time with him and they wanted to listen to his stories and parables. And uh, wherever he went, people were amazed at his teaching, as it says in Mark 1.22, because he taught them as one who had authority not as teachers of the law. Old Testament priests served as mediators between humans and God. It was the priests who offered sacrifice on behalf of the people. Jesus is our mediator and our high priest. 1 Timothy 2 uh, says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and humankind, the man Christ Jesus. He was our once and for all sacrifice. The office of king in the Old Testament is illustrated well by King David. God called David a man after his own heart in 1 Samuel 13. And he promised to David in 2 Samuel, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. This promise was fulfilled in the Messiah, who was also given the title of son of God. And Jesus was of David's bloodline. And if you go into Matthew 1, you can see that, uh, and some of the other scriptures, the genealogy, but Matthew 1 sums it up when it says, this is the scroll of the genealogy of Jesus, the anointed one, the son of David and descendant of Abraham, prophet, priest, and king, a king like no other. But you know, to be a king, you need a kingdom, The kingdom of heaven is where God rules. Earth has many kingdoms. Uh, Dallas Willard, uh, uh, an excellent theologian, and his books are well worth reading, especially The Divine Conspiracy, remarks, the kingdom of darkness is pretty clear, but many people have their own kingdoms. That is, areas of their life that are not ruled by Jesus and are, in essence, under the rule of another king. What I'm saying is that Jesus is establishing that the kingdom of heaven is present now and that we have a choice of how much of our lives we let him rule. And so uh, the question 
the first of two questions I want to pose this morning is, are there areas in your life that you've chosen to not let God rule over? Would like to let God reign in, or yet just struggle to do so? Or perhaps have not just given it serious thought? Sometimes it's deliberate, sometimes we just don't feel strong enough, sometimes it's ignorance. We all have areas in our lives um, that, um, that we want to keep and hang on to. But Jesus is the healer, he is the restorer, he is the life changer. And so we need at times to say, take sort of our courage in our hands and actually ask the King of Kings to come and reign in these areas of compartments of our lives. So the first question is, are there areas of your life that we've yet to let Jesus rule over? And I would add, we can usually see them very clearly in everyone else, okay? But we find it tricky ourselves. I think pretty well we could point at one or two people and say, well, I know exactly where you need to let Jesus into, but we're blind to our own um, challenges. So that's a lovely question and quite an exciting one that actually we could actually be different this time next week if we face some of these things in our lives and ask Jesus to take over and to rule in them. But let's look at the second question. Now, the Gospels are just four of 66 books that make up the Bible. And as you know, they start with Genesis 1.1. God created the heavens and the earth. All you see, all you don't see. Earth was a soup of nothingness, a bottomless emptiness, an inky blackness. God's spirit brooded like a bird above the watery abyss. And it continues to verse 31. We have God looking over everything he has made. It was so good. So very good. It was evening. It was morning, day six. And very quickly, it moves on to humanity's job description. And this was to rule over all living things on earth, effectively becoming responsible before God for life on earth. This rule was to be exercised in union with God as he acts with us, our constant companion. So we become co-workers in the creative enterprise of life on earth. That was kind of Eden's job description. I love that. We become co-workers in the creative enterprise of life on earth. I suspect many of you know the story well when it all went wrong in Eden and uh, Adam and Eve, a humankind, chose another path. Despite God's warning, seemingly totally unaware of the consequence of disobedience. I think sometimes we kind of uh, think of disobedience as our well, but actually consequences can actually follow us through the years, and some of us know that. And what I love about uh, coming under the kingship of Jesus is that as we follow is Jesus kind of gives the second and the third chance. And I love that. Mankind and the law often doesn't give a second chance, but actually Jesus the king does. He's about mercy, grace, favor, care, love, and bringing out the best of us. And this amazing thing that happens that when we actually say yes to Jesus, we in a sense come into his family and uh, we actually kind of almost, we become sons and daughters of the king. There is a sense that our identity changes. I just love that. 
that my identity is not what other people say about Brian, but my identity is all about what Jesus says about me. And I just think that's, that is a beautiful thing. And he thinks well of every one of us. We just sometimes need to accept in our hearts and in our heads what it is that God is saying about us. And that's the voice we need to listen to, not the one that, of the world that tells us you're not worthy, you're, you have shame, you're not good, you're daft, you're stupid, you're foolish, you're, not, you're poor, you're not rich, your job's irrelevant. Actually, that's not the kingdom I serve and not the king I serve. It's an upside-down kingdom, uh, and it's done very differently. So, um, in COP27, uh, right, in the UN Climate Change Conference in Sharm el-Sheikh, many questions were being asked that revolve around ecosystems, biodiversity, and the survival of human communities. A group called the Extinction Rebellion, a do-it-yourself or do-it-together movement involved in planet-saving implies, now these are my words, okay, that, they're that we are bailing out our sinking ship with a pair of teaspoons, and it's time for bigger spoons. The Jerusalem Post summarized an article published in the Yale Journal of Industrial Ecology. Who gets that? Anyone? No? Uh, I don't. But anyway, there is actually a, 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 the Yale Journal of Industrial Ecology. And uh, uh, Gaya Harrington, who is a systems analyst, researcher for KPMG, uh, wrote an article and said that, that from uh, their, her, Gaya's research that the natural resources will run out within 20 years. Put that in perspective, that's, I could well still be alive, which you might find amazing in 20, 2040, but I could well still be alive. I won't be as young as I am now. I'll be 20 years older, or 18 years older, as it was written in uh, 2020. The Ukraine war reduces reduced incomes and delayed health care is the narrative of today's press. Seemingly every article, news feed, or soundbite pushes up our anxiety and despair and discouragement levels. We need to take serious note of what is being said, what is going on, but not forget who we are. This is such a, an image to remember who you are. By this I mean we're made in his image, men, women, boys and girls, spiritual sons and daughters of the king, and we are not without influence, and certainly we are not without hope. There's a real danger of disconnect between our walk through the week and our daily life of faith, such that the events of the world dictate how we feel, what we do, and develops us into who we become. Effectively, the tail wags the dog. What's happening is that the media and events around us dictate the story in our head, whilst on high days and holidays, we let scriptures tell the tale told in our hearts. Two narratives, the one we listen to is the one we feed. Two narratives, one that can fill us with dread, the other with hope. I'd like to suggest that our calling as a man or woman of faith is to bring the influence of the kingdom of God into the world. So we lay on top of it stories of spiritual adventure, 
hand in hand with the Holy Spirit, the divine comforter, the Holy Ghost. It, and it was the divine comforter that Jesus spoke about uh, in John 16, 7, that after he died, the divine comforter would come. It says this, but here's the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away, for if I don't go away, the divine encourager will not be released to you. And it was the divine comforter, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost that came and set the church on fire. And that's recorded in the, in the early chapters of Acts. Thousands saved, communities built, men, women, boys and girls healed, lives changed. The disciples had been three years with Jesus and then all heaven broke loose as they let Christ rule in their hearts. And actually they were world changers. They were mere fishermen, but they went out and they told their story. They told of their encounters with Jesus the King. And it turned the world upside down. And I've said this lots of times, but we are here solely because of what happened there and then. It was only because of men and women who took, at, uh, took God at his word and actually accepted what was on offer, the Holy Spirit, and actually they became world changers. And we are the, in receipt of that. Now, if you've been in receipt of that, you cannot keep it to yourself. You are being so, so selfish. And it's not often you can call people selfish to their face if you don't Share the good news. Do you get, you complete the whole sentence there? If you take a sound bite, uh, that doesn't sound good. Um, that you are selfish. But no, you're selfish if you don't share the good news. The hope that you have within your heart and do it with decency and care. These are stories and accounts that can change the way you think. Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We need to change the way we think. We must not take on the world's feed. It's good to read the news, but we can be discouraged. Bit of advice. Don't listen to news late at night. Don't read it if you're feeling discouraged and down. It will not help you. There are times and seasons for all things when you can handle bad information. But actually, I never understood why people watch the 10 o'clock news before they go to bed and they listen to an account where somebody has killed some child. And then they go to bed and think, oh, I'm going to rest peacefully tonight. You will be anxious, or you could be. And so it's really important that you use your common sense and think, how am I going to handle all this information? How am I going to negotiate it? Because I want to be uh, a purveyor of hope. And I want to actually bring my agenda, the agenda of King Jesus, into my life. So there's no doubt that Jesus came to seek and save the loft, as a traditional mission call might proclaim. He also came to demonstrate to man that Eden was their original dwelling place. And the original command was still there to subdue creation and extend the boundaries of God's kingdom. To do this, mankind had to acknowledge that there was a battle to be fought, one that could not be won on their own. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, mankind could usher in a measure of the kingdom through ministry and healing and deliverance, resulting in man attaining physical, emotional, and spiritual wholeness as he once had in Eden. 
And I was just, I just, I hadn't seen it till I kind of said it to the other service. And I thought, actually, do you want physical, emotional, and spiritual wholeness? And it sounds like a, a kind of an advert, really, that you can see in just in the press that that is what everyone wants: physical, emotional, and spiritual wholeness. And actually, we've already had it once, and this is the opportunity again that we can regain it. We can sort of the paradise regained. And that is why the kingdom and the values of the kingdom are so important. Don Williams explains this rather well. So you might need to, to, to listen a bit for this because it's, uh, you have to think about it. Both future and present at the same time. Here we're on dead center. Jesus believes in the reestablishment of God's rightful reign in Israel and among the Gentile nations. His mission inaugurates that reign. While God's kingdom is present in his ministry, it's not fully present. There is a future fulfillment when Satan's sin and death will be completely destroyed. At the same time, Jesus comes to manifest God's direct rule here and now, healing the sick, casting out demons, bringing justice to the poor, and defeating our enemies. This means that the future messianic kingdom has dawned it has broken in upon us. Furthermore, it is God's intention to spread this kingdom around the world to the Gentiles and down through history until its consummation. In sum, the kingdom is really here, but it's not fully here. However, this covenantal promise would have to be carried out in a world ruled by chaotic forces. John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard Movement, said this. He said, go and do the stuff. After all, that is what Jesus did. Because if we don't do it, then we risk being ineffective, we risk being irrelevant, and we risk being just forgotten. At the end of the book, uh, Andrew Ollerton uh, wrote that we've been studying over this last couple of months. If you've not read it, maybe it's sitting on your shelf and you've dug it out. If you went to a small group, you might have used it occasion. I really recommend that you read it. If you haven't read it, I recommend getting a copy. And you can use it as a kind of a morning devotional. It's kind of each, it's seven sections. Each section's divided into, uh, into I think, six or seven days. And you can use it as a sort of a, a morning thought uh, to set you up for the day. But Andrew Ollison said this. Uh, he said that when he was um, younger, he met Jackie Pullinger, uh, a woman who at the age of 19 went to work in the walled city. The walled city's now been pulled down, uh, of Hong Kong, a notorious ghetto run by triad gangs and rife with drugs and prostitution. And he asked this question of her, what made you brave? Brave? I wasn't brave. I just believe what every Christian should believe. We're heading for glory, so let's make a difference on the way. That's kind of how it's really profound. We talk a lot about heaven. Often we sort of think, I've, you know, my son or daughter has come to faith, they're going to heaven. Almost that kind of, maybe that kind of language. But actually, uh, and we think, actually, no, church isn't about it. That happens, you know, as Jesus was on the cross. The other, the, one of the criminals says, 
um, speaks to Jesus, and Jesus sort of says to him, I, today you'll be with me in paradise. I, I think there's a sense that when we're here on earth, that one day, each of us, we're in this room, and we, in a sense, we move from this room to another room, and we can't go back. But this other room is just absolutely amazing. It is so different to anything that was in the room that we're living in now. But it's just going to be that move, a natural. It's a natural thing. Faith is ongoing. You know, once we embark on this journey, it's not that we, you know, that you come to faith at 17 and it stops when you die. It's just that your spirit, your soul, that the you actually continues the journey uh, in that sense. So we're heading for glory, so let's make a difference on the way. We're passing through. That's a well-known, I'm sure there's songs sung about passing through. And we're passing through. And actually, why don't we make a difference? Why don't we tell other people the good news? Tell us what we've found and how good it is and how when rubbish happens and it's just, it just, we feel like we've been dealt bad hands. We can still hold on to the hope that we have within us because it's the hope that's going to get us through. So it's not only just about going to heaven, it's about partnering with the king in the natural and the supernatural ways to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. Are we partnering with our king to bring change into our world? Now, our world... I'm talking about is our neighborhood, our family, our home life, our job, whatever is where we interact, our clubs that we belong to, our hobbies, whatever it is we do. And, I, and uh, dare I ask, is God calling you into step into a new world? I kind of, I always remember that, that actually... Um, that this thing of, are you prepared to actually go to the ends of the earth if God has a call on your life? Have you ever asked God saying, yeah, I would like to serve you, I would like to go and serve, and are you prepared to leave Guernsey and go somewhere that is perhaps lovely? Maybe it's not, but actually serve with the king of kings. And I think that's a real challenge. We need to do that, particularly to our young. And it can go to, some of, to many of our old, actually. I, I, this is, I just think, yeah, um, Roy LePedvin, he's in his 90s, and he heads up Les Adon Church. And I go to a, uh, a men's prayer group, and the other day he was saying that the, the Methodist, uh, the new Methodist person was, uh, had a meeting. And Roy was said, oh, I hadn't th thought of that. There were some new ideas put forward. And he felt really excited. He said, I hadn't thought of doing this differently. And I love that. I said to hear this man, of, uh, a godly man of 90, saying, actually, we could do something new. We could do something different. And I just think that is really inspiring. When often, as we get older, sometimes we can actually say, well, you've been there, done that. Well, maybe you need to let that go and let somebody else. But there are more things you can do. So are we partnering with our king in changing the world? Uh, Chris Vallotton um, made a really good... Um, oh, I swapped it around on the other one. Uh, a really lovely quote. He said, the kingdom does not advance through infiltration or invasion, but by invitation. So are we being open 
when opportunity comes to give invitation, invitation to pray with folk, to speak about faith, to pray for healing, to share our story about an encounter with God? Are we prepared to invite them into our friendship group, to invite them into our calendar? That's a really hard thing. You can have lots of acquaintances, but inviting people into your calendar where you actually have to give them time, that can be costly. Sharing your encounter with the king, inviting them to partake in it as well. So my question, second question, uh, and to finish on is, how are you going to live a life of invitation? So let's just, uh, as we just come to the end, if, if you'd like to stand, it'll be the next song in a moment, uh, the final song, and I'll just pray, if you're able. And it says this, Our Father... Dwelling in the heavenly realm, may the glory of your name be the center from which our lives turn. Manifest your kingdom realm and cause your every purpose to be fulfilled on earth, just like it is in heaven. I acknowledge you as the provider of all that I need each day, and I love you. And Lord, I just pray as we go out into this week that we may have that culture of invitation on our hearts, that we may be looking for ways in which we can bring your kingdom here on earth and looking to see what it is you're up to in our community. So we say thank you, Lord. Amen.